Well, good morning and Merry Christmas week to everybody. I hope you got great plans for Christmas coming ahead. Um, I know we do. We're going to do a whole bunch of relaxing uh, at home. It's going to be nice. So uh, here in the desert, it's different at Christmas time. You're talking about t-shirts and shorts if you want it. But, but actually, I've heard from a lot of people, uh, even back in the South, that that uh, it's unseasonably warm there too. So I hope it feels like Christmas for you when it gets here. Uh, but right now we're going to jump into the Word and look at a couple different things over the course of the next two weeks around Christmas, and then we'll jump into something else going into next year, which we'll talk about uh, soon. But for now, grab your Bible, go to Luke chapter 2. Sorry I don't have a Christmas tree or any fancy decorations this year. You just have to look at my face and enjoy that for Christmas. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But But honestly, this is just me talking to the camera. This is not church. Church is when we hang out. We do have a Christmas tree in our home. We do have a Christmas tree as part of hanging out what we do, Christmas decor. We'd love for you to come see that, come hang out with us. Uh, within the next three weeks or so, we're going to be in a, a location um, up near ASU, and I'll give you the address and all that in the weeks ahead, uh, getting really close to being ready to make that happen, so I'm pretty excited about it. But for now... We'd love for you to come hang out with us at church. You message us online one way or another. You can email us. You can send us uh, a text through um, you know social media or wh- whatever you want to do. Any way you want to contact us, let us know you're interested. We'll tell you how to find us. Love for you to come hang out. All we do is jump in the Word together, pray together, uh, share some food together, and, and it's, it's real easy. So love for you to come be part of it. Anyway, today we're going into uh, a little short thing called celebrating the Messiah. Because that's what we're doing at Christmas, right? We're going to look at two different people from Luke chapter 2. Simeon and Anna. And I don't know if you've ever looked at them, but we're going to jump in there at the very end of Luke chapter 2. you got a man, you got a woman, you got a priest, you have a prophetess. It's a pretty cool couple of people here, and they're both celebrating the birth of Christ. So that's where we're landing the plane. Today we're going to land on Simeon. We're going to look at him first. He's in the temple at Jesus' birth around the time of that. And you may wonder where I get the idea that he's a priest, but I'll show you. So go to Luke chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read verse 25 here in a few, and we'll, we'll, we'll cover a little more. But uh, it says... In Luke chapter twenty-five, uh, chapter two, verse twenty-five. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or Messiah. That's what the word Christ means, Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. It is amazing. Now, I say that often, but it really is. Thank you for the privilege of unpacking it. Uh, and again, as I, as I say frequently, Lord, it's your word, not mine. Let me never put my uh, words in place of yours. I pray you put your words in place of mine and ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So I remember the Christmas when it happened, man. I had this desire in my heart, this hope for so long. 
and just expecting and hoping and expecting. I remember when the box was open and Atari 2600 was in my hands. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Others of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the gift just got better. Uh, the dream got greater. The hope got more spectacular when there was a uh, pitfall. The game of games, you know. <laughs> if you know, you know, right? Uh, I love that game. I was so happy to see it. But when you thought it couldn't get any better, Christmas or two later, it was a bicycle that was hoped for. And I will never forget the day that came downstairs in our home in Atlanta, Georgia, and my brother and I both had bikes. Uh, now they had training wheels, but they also had, you know, the little racing plate on the front, so they were mean, you know, and we rode them around the inside of the house, uh, doing laps. I still remember that. Um, but over the years, the expectations got bigger, the gifts got crazier to some degree, but 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 there was always a hope and an expectation that kept kept growing. And sometimes things went way past and exceeded that, and sometimes not. But the truth of Christmas always gives us reason to celebrate and always produces this greater than we could expect hope. Unlike the uh, Red Rider BB gun, and yes, got one of those too, but you know, it, the whole movie is this hope and desire for that Red Rider BB gun. And, and then he gets it in the last minute. But that's not the same thing. This this is something that is, is greater than that. It's more like the gift at the core of Christmas is more like those videos you see of somebody who's hearing for the first time ever and the look on their face. Or the person who sees color. Maybe you've seen that video for the first time. Um, that kind of joy is what we're talking about today. That's more like the celebration that's in the heart of these two people that we're going to look at. And again, Simeon this week, we'll look at Anna next week. But one amazing thing here to keep in mind as we look at both of these, is if you look at the birth of Christ through the four Gospels, it is amazing the way they all point to how this moment fulfills Scripture in so many ways. It's not just hope. It's the hope that God had promised in His Scripture. And that his word had pointed to Luke chapter 1 and 2 is full of people who are recognizing that God is fulfilling his scriptures. And they're celebrating and praising the birth of this child because of the ways that God has honored his word. So when the Holy Spirit leads us to the Messiah, this is what you hear. When the Holy Spirit leads us to the Messiah, it should bring us to celebrate the hope of salvation and the promise, the, the salvation that's been promised in God's word. And to proclaim him to all people. If you want to know what all of this is about right here, that's it. That when the Holy Spirit leads us to see the Messiah, it should bring to us to celebrate the hope of salvation. And that salvation that came from his word, that should be what we proclaim to all people. Okay, so backstory, you probably know it. If you don't, you can go read it. But Luke chapter 2 kind of begins with this uh, account of the birth of Jesus, actually Luke 1 and 2. But he was born to Mary, who was a virgin, who was engaged to be married to Joseph. And they were responding to this census. Uh, and in, in response to having to do that, they traveled to from Nazareth in the north of Israel to Bethlehem, which is in the south. And, the, and uh, that's where Joseph was from. 
And because everybody was returning for the same reason, and many back to the capital city, which was only a few miles away, there's no place for them to stay. Everybody's in town. It's packed out. There's nowhere for them to go. But because Mary's already ready to give birth, like at any moment, they end up in a stable with animals. Some say it was a cave, whatever it was there. Uh, Jesus is born in this location among the animals, placed in a manger, which is used for feeding animals. Um there's not much that can make that birth more humble. Not much more we could come up with that can make that birth more humble. And despite the capital city being miles away, just a few miles away, the king of all creation instead is born in a tiny town among animals in a feeding trough. And yet, it's the single most celebrated birth of all time in human history and for good reason because salvation came with it all right so from there we're going to pick up the story verse 22 is where i'm going to jump back to it says and when the time came for their talking about the the family here for their purification according to the law of moses they brought him jesus up to jerusalem to present him to the lord as it is written in the law of the lord every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So there's two things going on here. Redeeming of the firstborn and Mary's purification from having given birth, okay? Two things that the scriptures required. So the first one there, redeeming the firstborn, that comes from Exodus 13, verse 1. This is right after the people have been delivered by God through the plagues and the Red Sea and, the, and all of that. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me. All the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. He goes on into verse 13 saying, every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. It's mandatory. You will redeem him. You will pay for your son, in essence, the firstborn. And that's a reference of commemorating the Passover. So when the, the last plague, when the death of the firstborn, and you can go back and look at it in Exodus 12, this is God told them they will commemorate that. And the firstborn sons are to be offered to God. They are set apart to God. And then they must be redeemed or bought back with a sacrifice. That has to happen. It's a picture, ultimately, you can go look at it, but it's a picture, ultimately, of the Son of God who was not passed over, uh, not redeemed, in order that he might be a sacrifice uh, that... That died, he takes the place of the sacrifice that we can take the place of the redeemed. Alright, and Leviticus chapter 12 is the other thing that's going on. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she's to be unclean for seven days. And on the eighth day, uh, I'm skipping a little bit, verse 3, on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin, the, the child, shall be circumcised. Verse 4, then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. Verse 6, and when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now that's in Moses' day. In Mary's time, it was the temple, but the same rules apply. A lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. 
Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for those who bear, for, for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. So these are the two things that are happening. So get the picture. Just before Jesus' birth, they traveled south from Nazareth in the north all the way to Bethlehem. It's between 70 and 90 miles, depending on how they went. But they would have passed through Jerusalem on the way, and they would have arrived in Bethlehem uh, about five and a half miles south of Jerusalem, and there Jesus is born. Eight days later, uh, Joseph circumcises him, or perhaps they take him to a priest, but he gets him circumcised. And then 33 more days, they go by, and then they go back to Jerusalem. They go back up to Jerusalem, to the temple, for Mary's offering here with the priest to deal with the firstborn and her own uh, purity. So, she brings birds, which tells you that they were in that poor camp because they couldn't afford a lamb. All right, so verse 25, excuse me, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. So consolation there is a, is a pretty wild word. It, it is in the context of disappointment or hurt. Somebody who is, is hurting or suffering or, or really it's disappointment. Somebody who's very disappointed and just let down. And it means to comfort them, to bring comfort. It was considered a title for the Messiah. Everyone pinned that, the consolation of Israel as a title for the Messiah. Simeon was anticipating the comforter that would relieve Israel's suffering. Suffering from the impression of Rome. Uh, suffering from just loss and death. But particularly suffering from sin, right? Consolation is from a Greek word, paraclete, which is where we get the word, or where Jesus would use the word comforter when he talked about the Holy Spirit. He would use that same word, paraclete. So Jesus ties this whole consolation comforter to the Holy Spirit. So even as the people are looking to the Messiah as the consolation and comforter, Jesus is saying that too as the Holy Spirit. So no surprise that Simeon is practically identified by his association with the Holy Spirit. Look at it there in the text. He mentions that the Holy Spirit is on him, that the Holy Spirit's leading him, that the Holy Spirit's revealing things to him. And remember, this is before the cross, all right? So this is not, he's not sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is a time before the cross where the Holy Spirit would come on the people of God and then and leave and come back, kind of like a temporary influence or power or you know position of wisdom where the Holy Spirit would come and guide. But in the case of Simeon, it's like the Holy Spirit felt at home there because he stayed. Imagine that. He says he was also righteous and devout, which meant he was strictly obedient to the Torah. It doesn't mean he was perfect just means he was devout in his devotion and dedication and love for God's word and the, the, the Torah, the law. But of all the children coming into the temple, Simeon knows this is the one. How does he get led to this one? How does he know that? It's not in the Torah. No matter how strictly he obeys the Torah, it doesn't say, hey, look for Mary, look for Joseph. You know, they're going to be at this spot at this point in time. 
The Spirit points and the Word affirms. That's the way it works. The Spirit is pointing out who the person is and then God's Word is affirming. Yep, that's Him. And that's how salvation comes to us. The exact same way we may... <coughs> Excuse me, man. I got a little bug in my throat or something. Sounds like it's whistling. You hearing a whistle? <laughs> Sorry. But that's how salvation comes to us. We may know His Word or His laws, but when the Spirit points us to Jesus... When the Spirit points us to Jesus, we respond the same way Simeon did, and you're going to see it. But noticing one out of millions, and noticing that that one is the one, all right? And then seeing that his word affirms it. Man, he said so all along. How do we not, how does it, how do we not see it? It really is him. And our response then is to celebrate, which is exactly what Simeon does. Look at verse 27. And he, Simeon, came... In the spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And this is an action of the priest in the temple. Another reason why I believe he is a priest. Because this is something that the priest would do. Mary would offer her child, her firstborn, to the priest and also the birds. So she would come up to the priest and the priest that would attend, that would attend to her she would give the child, newborn baby, and she would give the birds, and the priest would accept them both, take both of them into his arms, okay? And then he gives back the boy that she is redeeming, uh, and then he takes the birds and offers them as a sacrifice, being the cost of the redemption of the boy. So that was the regular way that things worked, all right? This is not a random man stumbling up on the moment. This is clearly a priest, I believe, Simeon. Uh, but of all the priests that Mary and Joseph could have walked up to, uh, you know, that day, that it's, that's the one appointed to deal with their child. There were lots of priests in the temple, okay? There was one high priest, but there were lots of priests. And of all of them, of all the priests that Mary and Joseph could have appointed with their child, it's Simeon. Uh, the faithful one, the one that's full of the word here, that knows God's word, the one that's full of the spirit, that's the one. How many years had he waited? We don't know, but likely he was old. The implication, he'd waited a long time because he's ready to die after this, right? He, he, how many years has he waited? How long has Israel waited? Think about that. How long has Israel been waiting for this promised Messiah? How long had the world waited for this promised Messiah? You go all the way back to Eve. That's when it started. And this is the moment for the world, for Israel, for Simeon. This is the moment. It's actually finally arrived. So picture the moment. Picture it. Simeon wakes up in the morning, you know, gets up, led by the Holy Spirit. He gets up out of the bed. Maybe stretches up to his feet for a minute. But I'm sure quickly he goes right back to his knees, spends some time in morning prayers. And then he probably grabs breakfast, gets dressed, and then heads out the door to go to... Uh, the temple, he stops at the ceremonial baths and cleanses himself and prepares himself as he puts on the white robes. And then he walks into the temple courts. And as he's crossing the court of women, perhaps headed towards the uh, the main part of the temple, the crowds kind of drift or spread apart. And he's led towards a woman who's carrying this newborn. And knowing... She's obviously there for the dedication of the firstborn or the, or the cleansing because she's obviously just had a baby. He knows what she's there for. He approaches Mary and her baby. Now, I'm just speculating here, but maybe this is the way it happened. 
And as he starts to approach her, he feels the spirit in him starting to get excited. And he begins to move quicker towards her like he's being drawn or pulled towards her at this moment. And when she, when he gets in front of her and she sees this to priest and she hands the baby and she hands the doves, as soon as that baby gets into his hands, the spirit overwhelms him immediately. And in some way he knows he's holding the Messiah. How, how does Simeon react? How would you react? And if you know Jesus Christ, can I ask you this? Is that how you reacted when the Messiah came to you? Is that how you still react? That's when it really punched you in the throat. Simeon blesses God, celebrating right here. Look at this. And and, and just, I'm going to give you a, a handful of the pieces of the word, but that's what's going on here. Look at verse 29. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. You've kept your word. He's almost quoting scripture here, and I'm going to give you the parallels. Psalm 119.65. You have dealt with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Literally the same language. Genesis 46, verse 30. Israel, or Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, said to Joseph, his son, Now let me die, since I've seen your face and know that you are... Still alive. It's the same, same language, same idea of, man, now, now I'm okay to die. You've kept your word, Lord. Uh, verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Psalm 119, 123, my eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. He's just spitting the words, scriptures back at him. And there's a play on words here with that word salvation. Now, it's recorded because it's the New Testament in Greek, but he would have been speaking Hebrew. And in Hebrew, that word for salvation is Yeshua, which is also Jesus' name. It's also the name for Jesus. So there's basically, you could say, my eyes long for your Jesus. My eyes have seen your Jesus, your salvation, your Messiah. Jesus told his disciples the same exact thing in Luke chapter 10, verse 23. He said, turning to his disciples privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. That would be him, the Messiah. Verse 31 of Luke chapter 2, he says, You have prepared in the presence of all people this salvation. You prepared in the presence of all people. Isaiah 52, verse 10, the Lord has bared his arm, his holy arm, before the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see his salvation, his Jesus of our God. Psalm 98, verse 2, the Lord has made known his salvation, his Jesus. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of all nations. Are you realizing, by the way, how important it is now that Mary and Joseph named him Yeshua, Jesus, because that was given to them by the the angel. Remember, Gabriel told him to call him that. Um, verse 32, uh, Luke chapter 2. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory, or for glory to your people Israel. Isaiah 42, 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. Watch. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations or the Gentiles. S- same thing. Isaiah 46, 13, I bring near my righteousness, it's not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. I mean, he's just, 
Simeon is just spitting scripture here. Isaiah 49 verse 6. Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Look what he's saying. And it doesn't say, by the way, notice, look back at the verse there in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 32. It doesn't say, for the glory of your people, Israel. That's what it says. It's not about glorifying Israel here. It's about the people to whom God's glory came. God's glory came to those people, and that glory came to those people of Israel in order that they would be a light to the nations. You see how he's got that worded? Same's true of the church today, or at least it should be. How are you doing with that? It's Christmas. Has his glory come to you? Has the child that is salvation, Jesus, has he saved you? Do you belong to him or you believer? If his glory has come to you, are you a light to the nations with it? Simple question. Are you a light to especially at Christmas time? Or is Christmas more about the common themes, you know, like a nativity scene and a, a visit to church to hear a message about uh angels and shepherds and shepherds and wise men sing a bunch of you know, carols and light candles all together in the room? Is that is that what Really is the focus, or is it more about Hallmark movies and colored lights and hot chocolate and a fire in the fireplace? Or worse, is Christmas a burden for you because you're constantly struggling over getting the perfect gift for everybody? Christmas ought to remind you, as with Simeon here, that salvation has come to you. Salvation has come to you. If you're a believer, the glory of God has come to us. You hold him. His people, that's who we are. And that is so that we can be a light to the nations. Those lights on the tree ought to pale in comparison to the light within you. Just saying. Look at verse 33, Luke chapter 2. And his father and his mother marveled. That means they stood in awe, like just kind of sitting there with their mouth just hanging open, like at what was said about Jesus. I mean, not only is he saying all these things, but he's just dropping scripture. I mean, he's saying so many things about who this boy is as well as celebrating the joy and the excitement. Plus, they've got to be thinking like, how long have you been waiting for this moment? And and you sure it's him? You know they know, but how do you know? You know, I mean, just just jaw jaw dropped in awe at the moment. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, and he gives her some hard news here. But notice the and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, uh, the blessing is not what he says to Mary. There's two things that are going on here. There is a common action of priests to offer a blessing after the interaction. So after the uh, you know, whether it's the purification or whether it's the boy, e- either case, uh, priests after an interaction, especially in the temple, they would bless the people. Number six, verse 23, speak to Aaron and his son saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So that would be kind of a blessing they would pronounce over the people uh, after the interaction. That's what he's saying. He, so he blesses her. But 
In this case, Simeon didn't stop with that blessing. That should have been the goodbye, but he didn't stop with that. Something struck his heart. The Holy Spirit showed him something more. He he turned to look right at Mary. Maybe there's a tear in his eye. Maybe he's starting to choke a little bit. And as he's handing the baby back, maybe there's this sense of absolute heartbrokenness that overcomes him. And he puts the baby back in her arms and he says to Mary, look in verse, uh, the verse going on there in Luke chapter 2, said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is appointed for, appointed for, his purpose is for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Mary, your son's going to rip Israel in half. And she's part of Israel, so this is impacting her too. This is her people, right? Why? Shouldn't the Messiah be embraced as king? Shouldn't he be the one that's uniting the kingdom of Israel, that's restoring Israel to be this powerhouse, this global kingdom that, that rules? Scripture, again, he's basically pulled Scripture again into the moment. Isaiah 8, verse 13. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Verse 14. And he, the Lord, will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken in. That's what is coming to his mind as he's handing this child back. Rather than embracing him, the people of Israel are going to stumble over his purpose among them. Rather than unite, they're going to divide. Many, not all, but many, will be drawn away from him, especially by these religious leaders. Again, not all, but many, if not most, are going to be drawn away. They're, they're going to, rather than find sanctuary in him, they're going to flee from him or attack him. Jesus came to deal with sin, not with Rome. That was a big issue. They thought the Messiah was going to conquer their enemies, their physical enemies. They didn't understand. They're offended by his humility. They're offended by the fact that he is humble and would wash feet or, or, or go into the home of sinners. You know, They considered him a blasphemer rather than the Son of God. But to some, he was a sanctuary of hope. To some. But Mary, that's not all. That, that, that's not all, Mary. In verse 35, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Mary, he's going to expose the truth in people's hearts. He's going to expose what's actually in people's hearts, but in doing so, it's going to break yours. They crucified her baby. They crucified her baby. For many, it exposed their hearts as being blind and symbol. But for others, they found sanctuary in that cross. Because they found forgiveness of their sins in that cross. But the piercing of her heart, piercing has such sharp language. It's, it's painful. To have an encounter with this child is dangerous. It is. 
He will pierce souls and expose hearts. It's emotional. If you met him, you know it becomes painful even a little bit because sin is being exposed before the God of all creation to whom we all got to give an account anyway. But it also provides joy and salvation because it provides freedom from the burden of that sin. And that, my friends, is sanctuary. That's the gospel. The pain and suffering that's produced joy and salvation. That's it. And it all starts in this moment with this baby. This is what we celebrate on Christmas. The birth of our Messiah who delivered us through suffering from our sin. Granted us forgiveness. So what do we do with this? Especially here on Christmas. What do we do with it? Well, this Christmas season I would suggest take yourself back to the temple. Kind of what we just did. See this moment that we're talking about with this old man just suddenly overcome with joy over this newborn baby that he's longing to hold and has been looking forward to for so long. And then come back and ask yourself some questions. How can I lift up Christ this Christmas? How can I lift up Christ this Christmas? How do I celebrate him? You know, can I say, like Simeon did, can I say, can I pull the word into my life and display how Christ is impacting my life because of what his word says, not just because of the happy feelings I have? How do I display him as a light, as salvation for all people, especially now at Christmas? How do I display him as a light to all nations? And look, make changes, man. If you got to, and I'd say most of us can do better, right? Arm yourself with the word, man. Get in there. Learn it. Expect and anticipate him. Start looking for him and anticipating him. Learn to hear the Holy Spirit. Man, we all got to work on that one, right? Learn to hear the Holy Spirit. And maybe most importantly, celebrate him publicly as a light to all. So, Maybe that's not you, man. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe you haven't crossed that bridge. You feel like you need consolation? You know, do you feel like you need it? Or do you feel defeated? Do you feel alone? Do you feel angry or or sorrowful or bitter? Is is Christmas a miserable time for you? Or is Christmas a time that you, you absolutely dread? You feel like God's not there, God's not listening, God doesn't care even if he is. Well, I can tell you that relief is available, consolation is available because God is there. And you can believe that he cares so much more than you can imagine. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This moment of Christmas is that giving of his son who will go to a cross, who will pierce the heart, who will... Who will die for our sin. Who will be that sacrifice that redeems us so that we can become that child that's handed back. Where he dies in our place. But death can't hold him. That's the beautiful thing. That's the gospel that though he suffered, though he died, death had no prayer of holding him. He conquered the grave. And that's the same hope we have when we put our faith in him so i'm challenging you today can you believe that is that something you can believe it's accessed by faith that's that's the path it's accessed by faith it's real simple can you admit who you are can you admit it can you say can you own it and say you know what i know i'm a sinner i know i am i know i need to repent i know my life needs to change 
I want to repent. I want to go the other way. I want a different life. Can you say that? Can you believe in who he is? He is the son of God. He is the creator of all things. He is the person that his word has said that he is. He is the child at Christmas. He is the man on the cross. He is the rider on the white horse in the end. He is the creator of everything. Can you believe that? Can you trust, finally, the biggest one in what he's accomplished? Not that you can be good enough. Not that you can change on your own. Not that that your good's going to outweigh your bad. Not any of that. Can you trust what he's done? Defeating sin, conquering death, and the grave because you can't. Can you trust that that is enough? If so, tell him those things. Tell him. However you want. And look, man, tell us because we want to pray with you. Let me pray now. Lord, thank you for your word. Again, it's so awesome. I love you, Father. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for his birth. Thank you for this account of Simeon and uh, the encouragement that I get from reading his joy over holding that child that he'd been looking forward to for so long and how you kept your word, not just that he would see the child, but how you kept your word in the child. In, in coming alone in so many ways, how your your word has rung true then and continues to today and will uh, in the future. Lord, you are awesome. And I ask all these things for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.